Welcome to the Post Ride Cafe with your hosts, Sam and Aaron. The podcast all about cycling. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Post Ride Cafe. I'm Sam. This is Eric. And welcome to episode 27. How you doing, man? Uh, tired. I was like, it's been a big weekend. Yeah, getting some big rides in. I'm tired, but uh, not for riding my bike. I uh, had a little barbecue, had some people over, and it's 117 out today, so decided to make some good use of my, my swimming pool. That's a good idea. I'm, I, I got to stick with the creek over here. It's true. You had to stick with your ice bath creek. Sounds pretty nice, though. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, you know, the deer go by. It's. I'm not going to complain. For sure. As you know, obviously, but I have a big pine tree in front of my pool on the uh, west side of it, and so it's been keeping the afternoon sun out of my pool, and so it's been cold in the pool. It hasn't been heating up, but now today is like, it's 117. The pool wasn't bath water. It was just like really nice and chill, so it's a good, finally starting to pay dividends. Pretty sweet, man. What uh, what are we talking about this week? Yeah, this week we're going to continue on. We're almost done with our team breakdowns. We have Yumbo Visma today, so that's exciting. As well as, looks like some Everesting records have been broken. And, if you haven't heard the news, Chris Froome is officially going to Israel's Startup Nation. <laughs> and uh, that leads us to a topic of transfer season. Sounds like it's going to be a pretty big one. So, all that and more on this week's episode. Uh, how can people get a hold of us? Yeah, they can get to us uh, at Postride Cafe on Instagram and at Postride Cafe on Twitter. Yeah, sounds good, man, as well. There's also our, uh, all the links and more will be in our show notes. And let's get right into our Strava Stats of the Week. Stats. Yeah, so this week, you know, it's been pretty much over 110 every single day. And, you know, I really wanted to try to get 500 miles this month for that little Trek award thing on Strava. But a little low this week. I got 76 miles, 1,400 feet. What about you? Uh, So... It was a good week, uh, 201.7, and I say that because I looked last week, 201.6. I thought that was just kind of funny. Oh, yeah. There you and, go, uh, so close. Yeah, 14,226 uh, feet of climbing, so uh, good climbing week. Yeah, it looks like uh, it's going to be the standard for as long as you're going to be in Boulder. What's the latest there? What do you mean? Well, as far as like how long do you think you're going to be out there? I don't know. I mean, I have another week booked right now, and if everything stays the same, I'm I'm going to continue to stay out here. So I'm just looking around for another place. Nice. Cool. Well, let's get right into our ride of the week. Uh, for me, it was my ride yesterday. I called it Shit Ride FGP5000. So I decided I needed to get a good ride in, and I wasn't sure... Obviously, I didn't check, and I really wasn't in the mood to go to West Valley. I didn't really, I haven't been riding, and it's kind of hot, so I didn't think I'd be able to make the, the high speed. So I decided to do a ride myself, you know, set my alarm for 4 a.m. and got up early and hit the road, and four miles in, got a flat tire. And Dude, these GP5000s, I can't get the damn things off my freaking rim. And so finally get it off, put a new tube in, trying so hard to get them on. Like, they are so tight. And I ended up pinching the tube, obviously, and snapped one of my levers. So then I was, like, super pissed and called the 
called my fiance to wake her up and have her bring me some tubes and broke another lever, but I did get it in and got back up and running. But oh, dude, I was so frustrated. I wanted to just like throw my bike. It was like hot and I only had a couple hours before it was 110 out. But, you know, I ended up getting a 50 mile ride in and, you know, did a little bit of zone two. And then I did some inter intervals, kind of higher cadence in the middle and then kind of tried my best to relax in the last 15 miles or so to kind of recover. And it, overall, it ended up being a really good ride. It was just one tan of my Garmin by the time I finished. So it was kind of rough. Yeah, that's, I mean, I was going to say, I, you know, I already said, but congrats on sticking it out because you and I both know myself, I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> I'd have been like, this is terrible. I'm done. Oh, dude, I was really like, I, I was just so mad. Like, it ended up taking like an hour, right? Because I had to wait for her to come and drop off some tubes and everything. And so, you know, obviously very grateful to her. And But man, I was just like, once I got back on the bike and started pedaling, I was like, all right. Because like, if I stopped riding, I was going to be pissed the whole day. <laughs> Like, it was just going to ruin my weekend. So I'm glad I stuck it out, too, because, you know, it would have been pretty rough around my house. <laughs> I was, like, glad I'm not there. Yeah. I was, it's just frustrating. Like, I woke up early, and then all of a sudden, like, you're just in this, sitting on a bench, just sweating, trying to change a tire. And, like, it's so hard to get it off. And I started Googling it, and, like, lots of people are having the same problem. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to get new tires. So I got to figure out if I want to go back to Gator Skins or if I want to go to schwabbly or, or something like just so frustrating i feel like you had pretty good success with the uh, gator skins back in the day yeah i mean the whole time with the gps i haven't had too much of a problem but every single time i have to change the tire it's so difficult to get it on and i'm like do i do i just suck at this but it's super hard and then i have those plastic continental you know they come with little levers and i snapped two of them yesterday so i don't know i'm gonna go back to gator skins i think I, I was like, I got some pretty good levers. I, I got them on like a patch kit and the patch kit was shit, but the levers themselves are like pretty strong. They're, I think they're a little wider. They're a wider lever than, than those kind of yeah. like skinny stick ones. I, I've stuck with those for a really long time. Yeah. The, I've ever, I actually haven't had any problems with these ones. And so yesterday was the first time I ever broke them. But I think that just goes back to like how hard it is. Like usually you have, when you're at the end of your, tired putting it on you have like three or four inches or something and like with these five thousands it's like six inches and so it's like just so much more stress and strain just to get the thing yeah. flipped up that it just snaps through those levers so i don't yeah. know everyone loves them I, shit, I, I am not a fan of replacing them writing on them yeah they're great but it's awful <laughs> well i uh didn't have any of those issues on my ride so uh Went up to Brainerd, uh, a couple guys that I've been riding with, uh, ended up making a plan. There was four of us, and it's yeah, just over 6,000 feet of climbing, and the, the main chunk of it is uh, Left Hand Canyon, which is 10 miles and 2,500 feet of climbing, and just like almost perfectly consistent Yeah, around 5%, and uh, it's just like my kind of thing for that and i was pretty stoked because i've been trying to get used to the altitude and everything and i dropped uh just about a little over a minute off of my uh oh, nice. pr which i got yeah just just before i left here uh last year in october so it was pretty sweet so i did that um like 54 and a half minutes or 
So I was, yeah, it was really nice. And I was just kind of in the zone and uh, like kind of the two of us went off for a little while. And then I got dropped at the end, not going to lie. Uh, but sure. I only, I was only, you know, 30 seconds or so behind. But yeah, no, that's pretty awesome. It looked like a good ride. I mean, it's not often you do 5,000, 6,000 feet in one ride, you know, even unless you're a pro or something, but just like around here, especially, you know, it's hard to, you have to go out of your way to get that much climbing. Yeah. You'd have to do repeats or something. And this is just like, you just go up, you, you hit peak to peak highway, um, which kind of connects all the mountains. Like you go out to Rocky Mountain National Park from there if you want. And then you go above that. So we ended up at nearly, I have to look, it was like nearly 11,000 feet. So once we hit that second section, it's like another four miles after the freeway to go up to the lake. I was definitely feeling it, the altitude, or not like it was shortness of breath or anything, but you just can't put out any yeah. more power if you're not used to it, I think is the big thing. Sure. I mean, you know, you just have to get in your own little altitude tent, man, crank it up to 11. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, yeah, if I go high enough, that 11,000 feet will seem like normal. Exactly. Yeah. No, I'm, it's a lot of climbing out there, man. It's, it's a cool place to be, so good for you. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. I was like, there's a lot of climbing going on for the pros, too, or, or the ex-pros here. Yeah, so it looks like Eversting is the hot thing of the pandemic, and uh, now we have, looks like Emma Pooley, uh, is a, uh, she's a retired pro, uh, according to you. I, I, I don't know her, but she shaved 15 minutes off of the previous record from uh, Hannah Rhodes, who took 50 minutes off of that record. So we're starting to see this you know, female Everesting record kind of come down in time. I think at one point it was over 10 hours, and now it's at 8, eight hours, 53 minutes. So starting to make some good attempts at it, it looks like. Yeah, I feel like the, the time's kind of getting condensed in general. Like, you're only going to be able to start taking a minute, 30 seconds. Once you really have everything dialed in, some of the pros, and maybe if they do a little bit of backing, like kind of how you said, like the hour record, where there's so much goes into that, where if yeah. somebody goes into, puts in that much effort, it's going to be insignificant, you know, the amount that you could actually take off that. Yeah, exactly. And I think we're even closer to that with the men's record. And, you know, obviously it looks like, you know, Contador set the record this weekend. He was trying to, I guess I didn't realize this, you know, being a Contador fanboy, I certainly don't know enough about him, but he's in the process of making some bikes. And so they wanted to test them out. And so he was like, all right, I'll do this interesting thing as a joke. And a bunch of people kind of commented on his little post and so he's like, all right, I guess I'll do it then. And so he picked this, I think it's like 13% gradient. And just did that like 78 times. And even his descent, I think he got to like 96 miles an hour or something stupid. <laughs> it's, it's so ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know if that was kilometers. I think it was miles per hour. It was like crazy high. Yeah, I'm not sure. It was it was really high uh, either way. Yeah, so he ended up uh, at 7 hours, 27 minutes, uh, which is about a little, just under two and a half minutes faster than uh, Lachlan Morton's time that he said a week or so ago. So... Yeah, like you said, with the with the women's record, they're kind of big chunks, and now they're kind of slowing down. And with the men's, we're starting to see it. You know, I, I think getting sub seven hours would be pretty much out of the question currently. I don't I don't see how that would. It's getting pretty tight. So. Yeah, I, I was kind of looking at that. I was like, all right, like, will anybody crack like so? You know, under seven. Yeah, that's that's got to be tough. I mean, I know Contador's retired, but he's still, I'm sure 
pretty up there in top of his game, and obviously Morton's up there top of his game. Yeah, he was doing it at altitude as well, but I don't know if you find another half hour in that. That's that's a big chunk. Sure. I mean, I guess if you know Consider had a little bit, uh, a couple more stakes, you know, maybe he could do it. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's so funny. So we were we were kind of talking about that in our group chat about Contador and our, one of our buddies, you know, just is kind of very new to cycling in the last couple of years. And so he didn't get to see Contador in his prime and he watched his final, you know, Vuelta, which was amazing. And, you know, since he's had struggles the last couple of seasons. And so you kind of put a couple links into the 2015 Giro. And back then I didn't really watch the main races very often. I kind of would uh, read the text coverage like I'd, you know, I worked a lot, and so at lunch or something, I'd read text highlights and kind of and just read the race highlights that way and get the text coverage. And it's just not the same, obviously. And I, and I remember reading that stuff, but I didn't actually watch it. And so I decided to watch a couple of the stages. And yeah, the the climb of uh, I'm gonna totally mess up the climb name, uh, Mortarolo or something, Montarolo. Yeah, I think that's what it is. It was pretty cool. Uh, you know, Landa being Landa and being a domestique and then just riding away from his dude. But, you know, Aru just, just looks awful on a bicycle, man. I think that's the stage where he said, uh, Contador said, uh, Bruta Fascia, that he has an ugly face. <laughs> no. Yeah. Dude, like, I didn't realize, but he started that climb like 50 seconds back and then beat Aru by like two minutes. So he, not only did he catch him, he passed him for two minutes. It was like three minutes he put into him, basically, on that climb. Like, he was... A bloodbath. I mean, yeah. Contador, you know, it's so funny, like the two different ways that they climb. Like, Contador is so sleek, and Aru just looks like he's <laughs> rolling on blocks. He's up there with, I, he's definitely, maybe he's the worst, but we we should talk one time of a top five, wor- top five uh, worst looking climbers on a bike of their positioning shit dude it's aru and vokler for sure i don't know who else would be who else is that bad oh i was uh dan martin's terrible on there uh yeah he just has bad form on his bike no matter what he's doing well yeah i guess that's what i mean yeah Froomey can be real weird sometimes but um, all elbows yeah just elbows straight out yeah, I don't know. For me, Vokler and Aru are just the two worst. Like, it's not that Vokler's bad, but when he's near cracking, he just gets overly animated. But yeah, I forgot. Dan Martin's just so damn bouncy. Yeah, I think we've waited long enough, man. We got to talk about the big transfer. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Chris Froome finally officially going to Israel Startup Nation, huh? I mean, I think everyone kind of saw that coming just because, you know, Ineos is going to back Bernal, I mean, he's 21 and has all the potential in the world, and Chris Froome is 35, 36, and just had a horrific crash and may have not even been able to ride his bike. So everyone understands what happened, and no one's really upset about it. They just kind of were like, yeah, this is how it's going to go. So it's it's official. It'll be very interesting. Yeah, I think, I don't know if we talked about this on air or not, but one of the big things, which I think we both agreed on, it's, if he can win not on Sky or Ineos, I think that makes him as just a lock of just his status and history. That, you know, he obviously was able to have his Sky train and this and that and all the um, marginal gains and the whole thing. Yeah. But if he can go do it somewhere else, 
that that puts you out of lock i feel like as not that he's not already there but it, it bumps you up for sure oh definitely i mean it's like you know in the nfl if you win a, a super bowl with two teams or something it's you know it's just different so it just shows that there's a lot of it that that's you and not just your team or just your gear or just you know whatever the money or you know with Ineos and Sky, they just have such a stacked team. Now, the guy from Israel Startup Nation has a ton of cash. And so, I mean, what if he just basically bought all the available best domestiques and made his own Ineos? Does that change that effect, you know? Or does he have to have, like, a mediocre team and, and go all the way? Uh, I don't think it takes away from it. I, I mean, because they are going to they're gonna build up the team a little bit. We'll look at that in a second. But because you have to. It's, it's not... It's not a grand tour team yet, regardless of who oh, their sure. leader is. I think they only have like twelve riders under contract for next season, anyway. So yeah, they have a open, open. Uh, I don't want to say calendar, but they have an open uh, roster, and that's just completely bare bones. So they have plenty of room to add whoever they want that's available. But yeah, I think that uh, you know one thing that someone I was reading an article. I don't remember if it was cycling news or velo news, but they were talking about the tech. You know the difference in technology as far as bikes and everything else and i think they were saying that he'll probably end up just getting a, an allowance to use that elliptical oh that chain ring that, uh, he, chain likes? Ring that he likes so much yeah i didn't know he was still using that yeah, it'll be interesting not to see him on a pinarello i mean i kind of i don't even know who they even have right now i think that's up in the air as well yeah i don't i i was gonna say de rosa but i think that was archaea was writing de rosa I, i'm not sure who they're writing where they were last year. Maybe uh, Contador's new bikes will sponsor them. <laughs> you wish, man. Of course I do. Um, yeah, so, you know, with him going there, that's obviously the talk of the season. It's going to be the all the talk in the offseason is like, who else are they going to get? So Cycling News, you know, ahead of the curve on that one, they obviously saw that coming. And, you know, they put out a, a little article with the top 10 transfer targets of, in their opinion of, uh, for Israel Startup Nation, and so I wanted to kind of talk about that a little bit and just kind of go through these guys one by one, and what do you think the odds are, you know, will they be a good fit, and what are the odds that they'll even sign them? So the first one is uh, Richie Port. To me, that one's really high up there with with Trek rumored to pick up, um, I forget if it's Simon or Adam Yates, and they have Nibali. I think it's a, it's a good situation for Port to not have the pressure of the Tour de France. Yeah. I feel like that they are buds with the whole, um, when they, I forgot which which race it was, but where he handed him his wheel and there was a whole thing about, you know, you're not supposed to help a guy on another team and, and all this. But I feel like that they're buds so that they would, he'd be willing to work for him again. And I feel like Froome would be willing to work for him in, a, in another Grand Tour. Because yeah. obviously he only cares, you know, for the tour to get to get that last win if he if he can. Um, that one seems real likely to me and and a really good fit. Yeah, I agree. I think that's definitely a good fit and seems to be, you know, out of this list, uh, I definitely think he he would be a strong candidate for for transferring over. Now the next one is Simon Clark, and I said, I think it was just talking to you or whatever, but I think they lack road captain and i think simon clark would be a great fit for road captain um i yeah. guess how likely is he to really go it's a good question i i don't really see that happening i guess 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I thought this one kind of made sense to me as well. I don't I don't know where he's at on kind of the EF, hierarchy. Well, I was going to say the hierarchy at EF. Oh, so yeah. I feel like that they are moving more towards Grand Tour, just with a lot of the climbers, of the Colombian climbers that they have. Yeah. I think that's going to be more of their focus, which it could go one way or the other, where it's like you have free reign, but the team's not built around you. Like if, if you want to do classics or something else. So I don't think it's a bad, would be a bad move for, for either party. Sure. So it looks like the next one we have is Sylvan Dillier. I, I honestly, I don't know enough about him to even have an opinion, to be completely fair. I think he'd be, obviously this list is made of just people that would be a good fit, so I'm not really surprised that he's on the list. I, I know he's strong and he'd be a good domestique. I don't think he'd be a good mountain guy, but I think he'd just be, you need a couple guys that are just on the flats, and I think he could definitely fit. I just don't foresee him going there. Yeah, I don't see him leaving either. Um, but yeah, second in Perry Robay de Sagan that one oh, year, okay. and second in the Swiss Time Trial Championships today to uh, Stefan Kung. That's who that is. Okay, I knew I, yeah. it sounded familiar, and I just couldn't remember why. But yeah, he's on what? AG2R or whatever? Yeah. I was reading a thing on Reddit. They were complaining about how Americans don't pronounce those team names correctly with like a French accent because it's like AG2 Air or something like that. And I was like, I don't know, man. It's just AG2R to me. Well, I mean, I'm sure a million people say move a star, movie star. So it's just, you know, that's... Yeah, I've always called it movie star. I don't know. I mean, that's how you're, that's how it's pronounced. There's no E, so it makes sense to me. I, I know. Well, uh, next on the list, we have uh, Wilco Kelderman. So he's rumored to be leaving with Sam Uman from Sunweb. And I guess I could see him going there. It, it would make sense for Kelderman. I don't know if it makes sense for Israel Startup Nation. So... Unless there was really, if they couldn't get other talent, uh, I could see them picking him up because he would be a strong asset. I just, Kelderman, I just get the opinion that he kind of wants to do his own thing. And so I don't know if he'd be happy going to support Froome if he wanted to have his own ambition in the Giro or something. I think he even wants to do the tour. So I, I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. I, I don't foresee that one happening. Yeah, if that's his ambition, then I don't see that at all. Um, I feel like the same thing with the next, with Youngles. I don't see him going there. I I think he's backed off from wanting to do Grand Tours, but he, I think, wants his classics and and that kind of leadership. And I don't yeah. think he wants to... He wants to be just a domestic throughout the season for everyone. Yeah, well, with, you know, with Israel's Heart Nation, I'm not sure what their goals are besides, obviously, trying to win the Tour de France next season. That's an obvious one. I know they were trying to build up a little bit of a classic squad, and they have uh, Niels Pollitt, but he's out of contract, so I don't even know if he's staying. Um, I know they just did not... He was. They were rumored to pick up Jasper Stoyven, but he just extended with Trek. So, you know, if Youngles wanted to do the classics and they wanted to start and focus on that, I could see him going for that reason. But it'd be too much of a risk for him if they don't have a three or four classics kind of ready guys that are already on the squad. So it'd be... Unless they signed a couple people beforehand, I don't foresee that being somewhere where Bob Youngles would want to go. Yeah, I feel like they were, I mean, they, like you said, the classics kind of tinge to it. And they had some good sprinters on there that we saw yeah. early in the season. So I could see them going that way of just sprint, you know, stage win, and then going for the tour is, is kind of how I see them heading. 
Yeah, I just think Jungles is at the right price point that the Quick Step won't let him go. So I just don't see that happening. Now I think we both disagree. Uh, I, I think we're both differentiate on this next one. I, I think the Izagiri brothers are likely to leave Astana. This is the rumor, and I don't know, man. I, I foresee them going to uh, Startup Nation. I think it's a perfect opportunity for them to join a team. They don't have a lot of guys, and so they can go and they know their role, and they're always good for something throughout the season. So I think it's a great spot for them, and they could probably get a payday and uh, be really good lieutenants in the tour. Yeah, I mean, I guess for the payday, but it, it just doesn't seem like a, a fit for the team. It's it's a little bit of a weird one to me. Yeah, but, you know, where else are they going to go? If they want to leave Astana, they don't really... Are they going to go to UAE Tour? Like, uh, or UAE uh, Team Emirates or whatever? Like, where other Grand Tour-focused team are they going to be welcome? You know, because you know, Visma's already full, Ineos is full. Sunweb? I mean, Ineos could just keep signing everybody. I mean, they're getting... They're going to lose... Froome's $3 million, so like they have a lot of money, but I, I don't know. I, I, I don't see another team that's really ready to take them on that's building up a GC squad. I mean, it'd be weird. Maybe they go to FDJ or something. I don't know, but I don't think they'll ever go there, but I don't know. I, I To me, it seems likely. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they went there. I think they can go to Sunweb or uh, or Mitchell and Scott. Yeah. I mean, with, with I don't know, though, because they could they could, obviously, but Someone doesn't really have a team right now, and they're not going to build their team around those two? No, I think, but they need some guys. Um, they've never shown themselves to be worth building a whole Grand Tour squad around, and Mickleton Scott is rumored to be losing um, the Yates brothers, like you said, so they don't seem to have a guy to build around. So, you know, unless they have someone to work for, I don't. I guess I'm just not picturing those teams until they actually have a solidified GC guy, and unfortunately for... Him, Esteban Chavez, doesn't count for Mickleton Scott. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I just can't see them completely changing their team because they've been building up as a GC team for some time and they're just going to pull that. And then I don't even know what type type of team they would be after that. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I guess, like I said, we both disagree on that one, but we'll see how that plays out. Yeah. Next one I definitely could see happening just because of the relationship is Ian Standard. So... Obviously, he was with him a lot when he was on Team Sky, and so, you know, if he's out of contract and he wants to go help him, you know, he's a good old friend of his. It makes sense. It just, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. Yeah, I agree on that. It's, it's just the the relationship and familiarity. You know, you want to ride with guys that you know, and you know how they're going to react, and you can work well together. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think Froome's easy to work for. You know, I don't think he really puts people in their place very often, and maybe he's different when he's on the team bus, but he definitely seems less dramatic than a lot of other GC hopefuls. And so, and Sanders a big dude, and he'll just be a flat domestique. He's not going to be, you know, doing the mountain stuff. So I think he'd be a good pickup and a road captain, you know, if, they, if Simon Clark doesn't head that way or, or whatever. So that one makes a lot of sense. And, you know, with, with Ineos, like they're kind of transitioning away from a British squad to like, pretty much a, a Colombian squad at this point. But, you know, they've kind of changed from being so heavily focused on British riders, and now they've kind of transitioned to just finding the best riders regardless. And so I think it's a good op- time for him to, to move ahead. Yeah. Uh, and the last two here, I think Jan Pollock and Tenel Kangert, I think those are both options. Uh, I mean, 
I don't know. I don't think I have too much to say about them. They, they'd be good domestiques. Um, I, I think they're good role players. Yeah. Well, I, I saw Ken uh, Ken Garrett in the um, the Giro. I was watching the, the highlights, and he was there. And so he did. You know, it's five years later, but you know he's going to be an older domestique. But you do need a guy with some experience in the mountains to be there. And I think there's definitely potential for that. If you know, again, it's just because Israel Startup Nation wants to win the tour doesn't mean there's always going to be the domestiques available. And so, you know, if if there's slim pickings, I can definitely see them going this direction to pick up a couple solid guys. They're not bad but they're not in their their prime so to speak yeah i guess real quickly on that if they get enough of these guys do you think that's a good enough team well i guess we'll really see how Froome looks in the tour this year to really know if it's you know even if they have the best team if it's going to be worth it but if they picked up four four of these riders on this list i think that's a pretty good starting point you know they really need two really good high mountain domestiques. You know, Froome is always one of those guys where he's so used to having at least, you know, two or three guys with him right to the end. So I think they need to emulate that the most. Um, and then filling in a nice, strong, flat domestique is not more of a dime a dozen, but it's a lot easier to find. So I think they really need to focus on the high mountains first and kind of build themselves backwards. Yeah, I think Port is the most important on the list if, if they're able to get him or somebody of that quality. Yeah, definitely. Well, we guess we'll see. I mean, it's it's exciting. It's putting a lot of more uh, enthusiasm and excitement into the offseason and seeing, you know, if anyone can break Ineos of their, um, you know, hold on the Tour de France, which, you know, obviously we're talking about Yumbo Visma, their biggest threat yet, so we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But piece of news that just came out today was British Cycling and British the Olympic team or whatever you want to call them had done a secret study back in 2012 for the London Olympics uh, using ketones as like a trials before the Olympics to see if there was any positive effect and they could use it to their advantage. And it looked like, I think about 40 cyclists and, you know, I don't know. I mean, people are mixed on ketones, right? We've talked about them before. There's mixed reviews on whether they're even good in performance enhancing or if they're even healthy for you or whatever. So, I mean, I personally don't care. Like, I did learn a little bit if the guy on Reddit was true is like these aren't like natural ketones. They're sort of synthetic styles, so they're not quite the same as some other types of performance enhancing using like protein or things that are actual literal derivatives of amino acids or things of that nature. So, yeah. I haven't read enough about those ketone esters to know if they're actually just not even emulating the real deal. But yeah, it looks like it was like a mixed bag and they, and they said they didn't really have good findings, but they also won like half of the, the cycling medals. So I don't know if I believe it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I mean, the biggest draw from of this for me was just kind of goes back to their whole marginal gains. We got the right training and this and that and really... Not that to say that it's anything that's illegal, although like in this article, they were basically signing waivers and they were saying, we're not sure if Watt is going to approve of this or not, just so you know, stuff like that. But really, they're finding the best products and pushing the limits of, of what's legal and not legal. And that's that's kind of how they're winning. I feel like that's showing more and more as as you get 
back into the history of this stuff yeah uh, with things like this oh definitely they've been known you know they made this very strong uh, argument of we're going to win the tour de france and we're going to dominate cycling and it's like well there's typically only one way you can make a statement like that and come out and just smash everything you know it's not just marginal gains and we had better gear and we used wind tunnels more right i mean bicycles and all these things have been around for a long time you know some of the newer tech obviously is is you know more modern but you know to go around and just smash everything it, in a decade or two when this all comes out as they were all doping everyone's going to be like i fucking knew it you know and <laughs> yeah. so i guess for me it's kind of funny like it's i'm living in my own like lance armstrong era like i didn't watch back then and so you know they kind of did something similar and it came out and blasted everything and you see sky and ineos just demolish everybody and their whole team has better domestiques than like some of the best riders in the peloton you know they're dropping like big name riders in the mountains and they still have like five domestiques you know so well yeah something is just seems off in that regard and for now there's no rumors or anything and that you know other than just people are upset but you know it's fun to watch i mean it's amazing to see them just like crush sometimes it can be boring at, at times but you know these types of articles just kind of make it more like they're trying so many things just to win so it's bad in that sense but i'm not surprised there's a secret study and the most upsetting thing, like you said, is this: they made them sign all these NDAs that, like, if they got in trouble, they wouldn't say anything and just take responsibility. And typical British, you know, it's like on Her Majesty's Secret Service or something, <laughs> like James Bond shit, where like they disavow you if you, you know, get caught or whatever. I think you just watched too much James Bond. Dude, I love James Bond. Of course, of course, I had to go there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll see how that ends up panning out. I mean, I'm sure people are pretty. Like, I told you they're up to no good. Yeah. So I guess we can just say Team Sky and Ineos were also using ketones. I don't think they've come out and admitted it yet, but our next our next topic definitely has come out and said they, they do ketones, and we're on to our team breakdown of Jumbo Visma. Oh, dude, we have one more after this. We have two our two teams left. We're, we're getting there, man. I remember when we first talked about doing this, I didn't think we'd actually ever do it. So pretty cool that we're, we got, we're, got, we're down to the last two. Yeah, I'd say that that gap in racing helped us quite a bit <laughs> for for this and at least it was kind of a blessing in disguise. I mean, it's kind of helped us like kind of work through the kinks, you know. And so we got racing coming in a couple of weeks, and now it's time to get it into gear. But before that, let's get to our 2019 stats. So they were ranked second. That was up seven spots from 2018, and they did that with 51 victories, with 25 in the World Tour, and they had eight Grand Tour stages and won five uh, GCs. So Roglic won the Vuelta. He won the Tour de Romandy, Torino Adriatica, UAE Tour, and Lawrence de Plus won the Bink Bank Tour. So real quick, the Roglic thing just kind of sounds like Bernal. His Palmar last year was crazy as well. But, yeah. you know, comparing that to 2018, they had 33 victories and only 10 in the World Tour and two GCs. So quite a big jump. Um, anyway, like high quality too, like a lot of quality. Yeah, major job. Um, and then how would you describe their identity? Yeah, I mean, they're definitely a GC team and, and we'll see that even more so in a second. But basically GC and anything else that they want to win. Yeah, definitely a pretty diverse team. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so their key signing, which leads to even more G GC, is Tom Dumoulin. Which, big shocker, I feel like. 
earlier on in the season that you wouldn't see him leave, but that is just yeah a massive, massive signing. Uh, their key losses would be Nielsen Palace and Danny Van Poppel. Uh, key riders in general uh, would be Primoz Rajic. Close. It was close. Pretty, it was pretty uh, close. Tom Dumoulin. Dylan, <laughs> Dylan Grunewagen and uh, Wout Van Aert. Yeah, pretty pretty stacked team. And like you said, pretty much everything. They're, they're very diverse in their uh, riders as well. So what are, what are your thoughts on this team? I mean, it is a fun team to watch. Uh, I, I mean, got into watching a lot of cyclocross because I just couldn't handle the uh, after-season withdrawal of not watching racing. So I remember watching yeah. Vanderpool and Van Art, you know, for the last three or four years or or so, and just looking amazing. And then they slowly started to come over and to do a little bit of uh, road racing and just look fantastic you knew they were going to both be great and now i mean they're both doing it too and so you see van art he can sprint he can he can time trial <laughs> he's like he can do a classic so i mean it's a it's fun to watch that and then you watch him win grand tours and watch him win sprints it's it's hard not to to enjoy watching yeah well it makes sense too because when you're doing cyclocross it's like all out for an hour and like Nowadays, the time trials are only 30 to 50 minutes tops, and so like he knows how to dose that effort hard for that long. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat. Like I feel like Jumbo Visma, and I don't even know why, but it just feels like they have a chip on their shoulder, and they have like something to prove. And so they're like that scrappy kid that just like is so tenacious, and so that's how they feel. Like they're just, I don't know if it's Napoleon complex or something, but like they just like, feel like they're out to just show the world what they can do. And it really showed last season when they just were winning everything. You know, Grunewagen, very good sprinter. Roglic was just crushing everything he did except for, you know, the Vuelta or the uh, the Giro, unfortunately. But, um, I mean, they were just winning everything. And, yeah, it's pretty impressive. And so I, I, I really like their team because they were an underdog. And I always secretly like an underdog and – you know, I like watching a, a big team that's supposed to win just do what they're supposed to. You know, it's what you're expecting, and so that's cool to watch. But I just like underdog stories a lot. So I definitely picked them as an underdog, and now they've kind of quickly moved away from underdog status. But in the tour, everyone's an underdog to Ineos. So I think anyone, I think most people are kind of jumping on the Yumbo train, hoping that they can take them to that next level. So we will see. But very exciting team. They're kind of like a lot of Sudal. So just exciting to watch. I think that's the big thing about it is everyone's been waiting for somebody to knock off Ineos and this is probably the closest that we're going to see a team where that's even on the same level or better um, than Ineos. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Movistar had the their time, I guess, and potential for it, but this team is just so stacked that everyone's feeling like it could finally happen. Yeah. No, they're definitely like almost pound for pound, very much similar to Ineos. So, you know, we'll see how that develops. But before we get to that topic, you know, Wout van Aert had that horrible crash in the Tour de France. Uh, there was a time trial, I believe. And so he's been injured and kind of away from cycling for quite a long time. And he just came back during the tail end of the cross season just to kind of get some reps and some experience and 
actually looked pretty good. I mean, he didn't win anything that I remember, but he was, you know, top top five a lot, top three. So um, it'll be exciting to see how he recovers. You know, his main task this season is just a domestique in the Tour de France. And the way the calendar is kind of set up, it's kind of perfect almost for him because, you know, he's going to do Strade Bianchi and Milan-San Remo, and then the Tour, and then after that he has the remaining couple classics, you know, Gent-Wevelgum, Flanders, and Roubaix that are a couple months after the Tour. So plenty of time to recover, you know, two to three, four weeks after the Tour. So he has time to recover and have good form for this whole four months, which I think is it's almost like tailored to him specifically, it feels like. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, watching him at the end of the cross season, you could see that he was getting better and better. I think that's what's going to happen in the, the road racing calendar as well. I don't see him doing too much in Strade or Milan San Remo, although he is he did look really good before at Strade Bianchi. But I, yeah. I see him winning Flanders or Roubaix. I think he's going to do his work at the Tour de France, and I think he's going to peak for Flanders and Roubaix and then just carry that back into the cross season and then, then be back on his normal track. Yeah. I I actually think very similar, but I think he's going to give his all at Strade Bianchi. I think the Strade Bianchi and Roubaix both fit his style um, better than some of the hillier ones like um you know, so Flanders also is, is up there, but for some reason, I just think Roubaix is more his style. So I definitely see him doing those really well. And the other ones, he's always competitive, but I think he wants to hit the gate really hard on Strati as, like, good training. Um, but, yeah, I definitely, for some reason, I definitely see Roubaix as, like, a really big target for him. Yeah, I, I think that would be the biggest potential for him to win. Yeah, and it's going to be in the fall, so it could be nasty, and so that'd be perfect for him. <laughs> yeah. Just bring out the cross bike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so the next topic here, we have uh, Grunewagen. You know, he had a great season last year. Um, he's not going to go to the Tour, you know, with, with Jumbo taking just a pure GC team. Uh, so he's going to the Giro, which, you know, is, has some opportunity for him, but not as much, you know, as the Tour, obviously. And so... You know, will he continue his success? I mean, I, I think he will. I mean, I think the Giro will be very good for him. It's after the Tour, obviously, this season, so there's a lot of weirdness going on. Um, Sagan will be there, so that'll be exciting, but I don't think any, like, huge riders are going. You know, I don't think... We talked about this last week, but um, Pascal Ackerman's not going to be there. He's going to the Vuelta for some reason. So, you know, Sam Bennett probably will be there and, and maybe Caleb Ewan or whatever, but I think it's a good opportunity for him to win a, a few races there. I was, you're going to leave out Michael Matthews? Oh, that's true. He's going to just crush. He's going to get the green jersey at the Giro, right? <laughs> yeah. That's what he's planning on for the marketing. Yeah. No, I think he'll do He'll do all right. I, I think it's, we've talked about, it's not really suited for a, a pure sprinter, and he's a little bit heavier than some of the others. So that's going to kind of hold him back. But I, I think he's going to do well this season either way. Yeah, what's very interesting about Gronewegen is he's he's very fast, but he's not always super consistent. But when he's on, dude, he is full gas and just fire. Like, so I definitely think he has the capacity to win one or two stages at the Giro. But he's definitely not a pure pure sprinter like the other guys. But he is just a rocket when he's on. Yeah, that's true. 
So that leads us to our main topic here is, you know, Jumbo Visma has gone all in for this Tour de France. Like they're putting, they're pushed all their chips in. And so they have, you know, well, it used to be one trident. You know, they have Roglic, Dumoulin, and, and Stefan Kreiswick. But now, you know, Ineos has a trident with Bernal, Froome, and Thomas. So it'll be the battle of the tridents. And so at least at least one trident's going to win the Tour de France, expected anyway. Um, but, you know, they just brought a super stacked team. So they announced their team, and they've made a, a one a small change. But it's Roglic, Dumoulin, Kreiswick, Tony Martin, Gessink, Wout Van Aert, uh, George Bennett, and Sepp Kuss. I mean, that's a pretty good team. That's ridiculous. I mean, the only, I guess, I was thinking, is there enough power on the flats? But you do have Tony Martin and Wout Van Aert. I mean, you have two awesome time trialists. Yeah. Everybody else is pretty much a climber. That, oh, I guess yeah. you, got, you got Dumoulin and, yeah. I think I think it's a plenty strong team looking at it now for flat or for the mountains. Yeah, and I see, you know, even Roglic, I think you, these are the types of riders that if they needed to be, like in a windy stage or an echelon or whatever, they would be on the front doing a little bit of pulling as well. You know, they're not a lot of these super skinny guys and expecting everyone else to do the work. Like, they can, enough power or won't be putting them in the red too bad. And so... I do agree their one weakness is they only have the two flat domestiques. Um, the one oddball I would say is Robert Hessink. Like, I didn't put down how what his age was, but I feel like he's been around for a while. So I think they could have gone with maybe somebody a little more flat, light mountain, you know, almost like a Karyanka or something. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if Tony Martin and Van Aert are, are there, I mean, that's all they really need. Those two are just beasts. Yeah. I think, though, Dumoulin is going to be their key, where if he sacrifices himself, I think they can they can win, because he can definitely power on the flat as well, but is, you know, yeah. is he going to want to burn himself up if they're needing to pull something back, or, because, I mean, I, I don't know if it's been announced, but I thought he wants to go for the win as well. Uh, Dumoulin? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he's very much in for the tour. And that's the problem with these tridents. It's like you have Roglic, Dumoulin, and, and you know, Kreiswick. I always feel bad for Kreiswick because he's been shown to be very strong. He just either has a, a, a crash or something happened in the first week and he loses time because he's always usually one of the last guys on the mountains, but he just hasn't seemed to be able to string together a, an incident-free, you know, kind of luck uh, grand tour. But So I don't really... Unfortunately for him, factor him as one of their leaders. I pretty much just boil it down to Roglic and Dumoulin um, because at the end of the day, that's the hierarchy is, is Roglic, Dumoulin, and then him. So if both of those guys happen to something happen or they, they bonk or they crash or, or whatever, then yeah, he's a fine placeholder, but no one's really expecting him to win the Tour de France and especially this Tour de France. But yeah, I think they can definitely win. Uh, one thing I didn't realize is that there's only one time trial. I totally forgot. And it's 36 kilometers, and it's half of it's climbing. So, you know, it's they go up to Blanche de Belfi, and so it is it is a good time trial for Roglic and Dumoulin, but since it is mountain uh, mountainous, it's not really a pure uh, time trial to gain time on, you know, their rivals in that sense. And so they won't be able to gain as much. So it'll be interesting. It's really set... You know, the rumor was it was kind of built for a, 
you know, Pinot or, or a non-TT guide to really excel. So, but I still think Roglic especially has shown his climbing prowess. I mean, in that Volta that he won last season was just ridiculous. He made everyone look dumb. So if he has that kind of form, you know, and ski jumpers, as everyone knows, has great form. I, I think he's <laughs> definitely a good, good favorite to win this. I think it's his, not his to lose, but it's pretty dang close. I think Bernal's going to win. <laughs> yeah. I think he's pretty decent time trialist, and the way that the time trial is, it suits him. And well, one I, thing I, to one thing to keep in mind as well, I didn't also realize there's very little high altitude. I don't think there's any stages over three thousand meters. Hmm. So his main, you know, so this is a weird tour because like his main thing is altitude, is that's where he really puts in his hurt, and there's no big Alp stages. I think I read somewhere that it was like twenty three hundred meters was the maximum. So he's not going to be able to leverage. So it's kind of interesting. Like he can't leverage his strength. And Roglic and Dumoulin can't, and Froome at this point, can't really fully leverage their strength. So it's actually like kind of an interesting Tour de France. I was like, yeah, let's hope. Because, I mean, last year's was good, but prior years had been kind of boring. So let's kind of hope that it keeps with the trend of, of interesting Tour de France either way. Yeah. No, I think it. I think this the, the storylines going into this tour are way more obvious than they have been in the last couple of seasons. Like, you know, no one saw Alaphilippe happening, right? So that wasn't even on anyone's radar. I don't think anyone's really expecting to see Pino, you know, go out and win a bunch of stages and like look really good, and then unfortunately get injured. Like, you know, so there were the main cool and the cool factors of that tour were like unexpected. I think this one has a lot of hype going into it because of the different, you know, you have Froome coming back and Bernal and that whole thing, and then you have Jumbo Visma super close. So I think you know this is one of the more hyped tours in, in in a few years yeah so exciting uh one thing you know i forgot to talk about this earlier i guess but you know we want to one of the things we've been talking about a lot is talking about young riders you know and just keep an eye on, on who's coming in because there's just a lot of interesting stuff so i i saw two uh jonas vingegaard he's 23 he's from denmark looks like his kind of thing he had a uh, one stage six in the Tour de Poland. He was first overall on a stage at the Hammer Stavanger. Those are just weird events. I don't even count them as real events. But And then he also was second overall at the Tour of Denmark behind uh, Tij Benut by four seconds. So, you know, pretty punchy kid. Uh, looks like there's some potential for him there. I'd uh, be interested to see where he's going, if he's going to be on that Giro team. That's looking pretty stout with Lawrence de Plus. That'd be a good spot for him to cut his teeth, so... And then the second rider was Tobias Foss uh, from Norway. He's also 23. He was first overall at the Tour de Avenir, and he was second on two stages. And then at the under-23 World Championships, he was sixth. And at the under-23 uh, Liege Bastion Liege was third, and seventh at the under-23 Ghent Wevelgum. So you know, pretty solid chops uh, for him as well coming in, and a lot of potential to be either a good classic domestique or even have a, a chance to be better at the classics and see how he develops. I mean, Norway, you know, he had Tor Hushoff and uh, what's that guy on Dimension Dare on uh, NTT? Kristoff. What's oh, that? You're... Oh, I was thinking Kristoff initially. Oh, yeah, the, uh, no, I don't, I don't count Bosenhagen. him. Bosenhagen. Uh, Bosenhagen. So, you know, kind of continue that sort of uh, lineage, I guess. 
Yeah, I mean, Kristoff's good, but he's more of a sprinter. He's not a, a pure classics guy. I, I don't picture him that. He's not really a pure sprinter. I mean, he either. has won classics. So yeah, that leaves us with, you know, uh, 2020 victories. What, what have they done so far this season? They haven't done a lot. Uh, Gronovegan won stage three of the UAE Tour, and he also won uh, stage one and three of the Volta a la Comunitat Valencia, which is kind of a smaller race at the beginning of the season. And then most people are probably aware by now, but Roglic transported his way to the Slovenian National uh, Road Race champion there. <laughs> I was like, I finally saw footage of that. It was pretty much he just powered away. It wasn't a, it wasn't some magic transport. Yeah, well, the live coverage was super weird. But yeah, someone actually released uh, footage a week or so later, and he put in a pretty vicious attack, and it looked like Pogachar kind of had some bad tactics. Almost, you know, I don't know if you're going to know what I'm going to say, but, you know, Sagan, when he first started, he had a few bad tactics, and so Brutal. Pogachar kind of had something similar where he was doing a lot of work at, at, during this climb, and Roglic just sat on his wheel for a little bit and then bounced away. But yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, so kind of a slow start for them, but, you know, they really don't get going until, you know, the bigger races in the season. So. Which leaves us with better or worse than last season. What do you think, man? Uh, it's got to be worse since I'm saying that they're not going to win the Tour. It's true. Yeah, I think their season pretty much linchpins onto the Tour de France. Um, so if they don't win that, I think they're going to think of it as a failure. So... I'm going to have to say better, because I think uh, Roglic is going to win the Tour de France. There you go. I was going to say, with a team that stacked, you have you have to think that you're going to win. And if you don't, it, it's a failure. That's all it comes down to. Yeah, I mean, that's it's and that's cool. I like that. They, they've set their chips on the table and like, this is what we're doing. This is our aim this season. Which kind of came out a perfect time, because this season's been really funky anyway, so... You know, with, with Uwe Van Art winning Paris Roubaix and started Bianchi and just adding on the Tour de France, it's going to be a great season. <laughs> yeah, we already locked them all for all these wins. Yeah, I mean, I think so. Dumoulin's going to win the green jersey. You know, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I was like, not if Nairo's there. <laughs> it's true, man. Oh, poor Nairo in his crash. Uh, but yeah, so that about wraps up this week's episode. Um, looking forward to racing coming soon, man. We got one more episode. We have the Cunic Quickstep is next. And then I think we're going to gonna have to do some previews of uh, Strada Bianchi and perhaps Milan San Remo the week after. So it's, we're almost there, man. I was like, that's going to be fun. I, I can't wait for some racing. Yeah, I'm pretty stoked. I mean, you're not a big fan of the like National Time Trial Championships, uh, you know, just today about the Switzerland? I was the one who mentioned it. It's true. I mean, you know, that's we were, you know, we were talking about the Slovenian national championship. Like that's we have nothing to watch. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously. Like that was such a small race they even had other countries come to it. Yeah, it's crazy, but I mean, everybody was stoked to see it. It's true. That's what's exciting. Like at the end of the day, if there's no cycling, people will watch any race. Even people are watching the, you know, uh, digital Tour de France. That's how bad it is. I haven't got that far. I'll, I'll take some cross again. Yeah, I have not seen. I've seen the highlights, and I, I didn't even click the video. I'm like, I don't even care. <laughs> All right, man. Well, have a good time up in Boulder. I'm going to continue sweating my balls off here. It's 116 right now, so have enjoy it, man. Dude, it's 88. I'm. It's feeling terrible. I bet.
<laughs> it sucks to be you, man. All right. Anyway, I'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. See ya.